0: Join leading executives from ITV, Channel 4, Sky, Marks & Spencer, Heineken, and many more for a dedicated day of networking and panels at the Telecast Brand-Funded Entertainment Summit at Advertising Week Europe on Thursday the 16th of May at 180 Studios in London. Panel discussions will explore how to work with UK broadcasters in brand-funded entertainment, navigating the world of compliance, IP and distribution, creator partnerships the future of digital branded content, brand-funded podcasts, and more. Delegate tickets are available now via telecast.com forward slash events at a very special discounted rate of £350 plus VAT which also grants delegates access to more than 100 sessions at the event over all three days from the 14th to the 16th of May. Join company presidents and CEOs, founders, futurists, influencers, agencies and execs from brands including Coca-Cola, TikTok, Google, Activision Blizzard, LinkedIn, Netflix... And Deliveroo, plus celebrities including Drive Tribe's Richard Hammond and pop legends take that. Telecast Brand Funded Entertainment Summit in association with 53 Degrees North Media at Advertising Week Europe on the 16th of May 2024. Get your tickets now at telecast.com forward slash events and level up your knowledge and contacts in the world of brand-funded entertainment.
1: Telecast the TV Industry
0: News Review. Hi, I'm Justin Crosby. Welcome to another Telecast. This week's show comes from Dubrovnik at NEM 2022, with telcos, producers, distributors and TV tech businesses coming together by the Adriatic to discuss and debate the future of the Central and Eastern European TV industry. My guests include Love Nature's Chiara McKee, Jonathan Broughton, the European Broadcasting Union's new Head of Strategy, Nebojša Taraba, founder of Croatian indie Drugi Plan, and Matej Lonsiric, Director of Video Operations and Media Brands June Boost and Miss 7 at 24 Sata. It's all coming up on this week's Telecast. So my first guest on this week's NEM special is Kiara McKee, Vice President of Love Nature EMEA and Board Director for the Global Love Nature Business at Blue Ant Media. Kiara, how are you?
1: I'm good, Jesting. Thanks for having me.
0: Not at all, not at all. Great to bump into you. Yes. Um, <laughs> and here we are. You stage know, Exactly. <laughs> and overlooking the beautiful Adriatic. So tell us, what, what are you doing at NEM?
1: I'm here showcasing our natural history brand, uh, Love Nature, so we're a global wildlife and nature brand featuring powerful stories that foster a deeper connection to our natural world. Um, So we're storytellers who inspire people to take care of the planet using the latest and greatest technology to capture premium content in the best quality possible.
0: So, we're obviously here in Dubrovnik at uh, NEM, which is focused around the Central and Eastern European TV industry. Obviously, it's a region that's important to you. Which markets within CE are most uh, successful for you?
1: Yeah, so we've got good uh, channel distribution in... Czech, Slovakia, Romania, Hungary. We've been in active discussions in Poland at the moment. And sort of ex-Yugoslavia region, Balkans, is one that we're now focusing on. And hence we're, we're here at NEM trying to, to get our, our product across and okay. and get some, some interest.
0: Yeah. Well, tell us about that distribution strategy for the channel then. So how are you getting the channel out there? Because it's obviously a challenge for lots of different networks is getting that good distribution right across the board how how do you approach that from a love nature perspective
1: yeah so we're really lucky the fact that we are the content producer and distributor Um, we've got a vast library of original series and documentaries which we distribute in many different ways as the producer we have all rights So we have Love Nature's branded pay TV linear channels. Uh, We have streaming channels with the likes of Amazon. Uh, We've got content partnerships, uh, like the one that we have with Sky for Sky Nature in the UK, Germany, and Italy. Um, We've got global licensing via our Blue Ant International business. Uh, And we're now also operating in the far space in in certain markets, predominantly in the the US. So we have lots of different channels and lots of different ways that that we can work with, with partners. This is
0: something that we, we focused on during the dark days of lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about, you know, people maybe feeling, you know, thinking a little bit more about climate consciousness and mm-hmm. becoming more aware of our surroundings as we were sort of locked in, and or or at least, you know, being able to get out on our own within nature, right? Because we couldn't really do much more. Yeah. Are you seeing that growing demand from consumers? Do you think that that climate consciousness? trend is building
1: yeah absolutely and i think in respect of love nature so during the the pandemic the fact that we have well we are all native 4k programming it's the closest you could get to nature without even being there so we saw a huge drive in that respect but then also you know in terms of climate change and and also just positive impact messaging just in the current climate that we're in in terms of climate change but also politically Um, I think Love Nature is bringing a really fresh message and positive message so much so that we've even just launched our our new CSR initiative uh, called Love Nature Gives Back whereby we're working with uh, the conservation organisations that we feature in our shows to raise awareness for them and monetary donations and again we're working with our platform partners to help them achieve their CSR our targets through working with us on this love nature gives back scheme
0: good luck with all of that and everything else uh, you've got going on with love nature it was amazing to see your presentation earlier on and you know the quality of their content and some very familiar voiceover narrations yes. there as well which is obviously a really key part of uh, natural history content is getting the right uh, voiceover and it was Ewan McGregor I heard yes. there and various other uh, well-known voices so uh, Best of luck with all of that. Um, lovely to see you here. Yeah, and, great
1: to to meet you. And, and thank we'll you for uh, we'll
0: me. maybe have a beer later on.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Justin.
0: My next guest on this week's show is Nebosha Taraba, founder of Croatian production business Drugi Plan. Welcome,
2: Nabosha. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm okay, enjoying Dubrovnik.
0: Fantastic. Well, me too. Plan is a very well-established production business that uh, you're co-founder of. And you're based in
2: Zagreb, right? Yes, we are based in Zagreb. We have been on on the market for almost 20 years now. Two years ago, we got new partners in in the company. It's a a beta film, a big German and European distribution and production system.
0: All right. Well, congratulations on on that. Tell me a little bit about Droogie Plans growth then. And how did you start the business? Was it were it really in local production you started with or was it, you know, have you always been producing original content?
2: So we yeah, we started in um, beginning of 2004, both me and my business partner have a journalistic background, so we spent almost, you know, complete career in, in, in journalism. And then on 2004, we decided to switch to stay with the content, but we were looking for a different way, different approach. That was the period of liberalization of the TV market in Croatia. They were opening to uh, commercial broadcasters as well, and they were adjusting the legal side of the, kind of the framework essentially yes and with the european legislation where they recognize position of independent producers established certain mandatory quotas for broadcasters so that's where we saw our opportunity and we started the company well it seems like you're
0: doing fantastic business i gather you produced an early hbo europe original and that's become uh, an international hit tell us about that
2: yeah, that was the first original HBO production in Adria region. In 2016, they announced the first draft uh, first draft contest. It was called for scriptwriters to submit uh, pilots. Uh, and uh, our very close friend did it. Immediately after that, they also started to look for local production companies to make it. We applied... Our friends' script won. We passed very, very tough procedure, but uh, they liked uh, uh, the approach we proposed. They liked uh, all above the line people we proposed for the project, as well as the director, who was uh, Oscar-winning director, Danis Saptanovich. and we won. And then we made it and we produced it in 2018. It was uh, premiered in uh, on Content London in end of 2018, uh, in December. And uh, the show was released on everywhere on HBO Europe, uh, beginning of 2019. Uh, in June, the same year, it went to US as well and uh, worked quite well. And it was relaunched now. The, the, the rights for UK, uh, United States and Australia are with, uh, with uh, Walter Presents, so it's available there. So they relaunched it in November last year. Well, that's a real testament
0: to the quality, I think, of, of the show. We also saw relatively recent news. It probably not surprised that better film were involved, but that's the distribution rights to... The Silence, which is a, a crime series. Yeah, but, uh, Tell us about
2: that one. Yeah, Silence is uh, yeah, it's our last project, which is also available from mid of March this year. It's available on HBO Max. It's uh, the first, I would say, the first proper co-production, international co-production started from here. Uh, we had a public broadcaster as a main partner in Croatia, but then we managed to get German co-producers, so it's Betafilm and uh, ZDF Arte. And then we managed to to get uh, uh, Ukrainian co-producers. It is Ukrainian branch of the company Star Media and uh, All TV, the new Ukrainian streamer, which is part of Ukraine media group. Yeah, we made it last year. In this time last year, actually, we just wrapped it in Kiev. We shot... Let's say two third in Osijek. That's the regional capital of eastern part of Croatia. And then we moved to Kiev. It was really great experience. Unfortunately, it was let's say the it, it's it's the only as as we know it's the only uh, recent uh, Ukraine uh, co production with Ukraine. On the high end uh, level, as we know, so well, it just it kind of
0: shows the promise that was not only the promise in in uh, Croatian co-productions, as you say, you know, at that top level, but also Ukrainian as well, and it shows huge amount of promise and future. But which is obviously certainly
2: in Ukraine has been curtailed by yes. the invasion. So it, it's you know it. Really yeah, so so, but we are not giving up, and we are preparing, we are right now in in, uh, preparation for season two, which is scheduled for start of production for end of October this year. And uh, we will this way or another go to Ukraine at least for a few days of shooting. Uh, Of course, we adjusted the story because it's contemporary story and we adjusted it to the war reality. Unfortunately, the subject of the show is became quite relevant because we were dealing with issues like sex trafficking and minor prostitution. It, it is actually based on the true events.
0: And we've seen reports of that, obviously, since the, uh, now, since the Russian invasion.
2: And now, when mostly women and kids are leaving country, there there was on the, from the very beginning, there was a lot of... Predators on the borders from all around Europe and even far, you know, from Europe, you know, who, who were there, and uh, you know, so it's it's really a sad story. But as I said, it's relevant, and we hope that that it could uh, turn attention of the people to, to this problem.
0: Yeah, well, it's an important contemporary and local story to tell. Yeah. So, in terms of Drogi Plan's percentage of local production
2: versus international originals so what's the balance there of course we are you know even even when we take in account the the entire the the film production plus uh, uh, let's say tv drama production it's not even comparable of course i mean croatia is a small market it's four million people with quite limited uh, financial potential of the market but somehow we managed to you know with, with even this s- small number of titles per year we are available worldwide you know so that's i i consider that as a really great success and it proves certain quality of the of the content coming from here we didn't mention our other project it's the tv series the paper which is available on netflix globally in 190 countries which was actually the first one from this part of the world and one of the few European shows which appeared on Netflix in, in 2018, you know. So, so let's say, I, I, I could say we, we have a quality and we are lacking <laughs> finance, but, I mean, the same is everywhere, but, yeah, but... It also, we have to be honest and admit that, of course, every market has its limitations, you know, and uh, with the, you know, this number of people, you know, I think that it's, it's completely okay to say that, let's say, two, three, maybe five titles per year are optimum. For, for the the market of this size, in
0: terms of local com- a local Lo-
2: local local
0: or commission. a local partner coming local into local an international project.
2: project, or or yeah, that could maybe increase the number. But uh, if we are talking about uh, local commissioners, then it it would be really yeah. But as I said, not only financial limits, there are also creative limits, and uh, yeah yeah. So we really tend to go out once when we know that the quality we wanted is there you know so turning you know going into hyper production will not bring uh, expected quality yeah yeah one of the things that could help
0: supercharge the croatian industry certainly for croatian content and how that might spread around internationally on the international market is this uh, the new media legislation which is coming into effect and here at NEM, the minister for culture and media presented the new legislation and and what that means to the industry can you just give us a very brief overview of of what that yeah, is because it. obviously the media laws you talked about it at the beginning of how they changed perhaps since you know the old yugoslavia and and how they started to come into
2: into sync with the EU media laws yes that is the yeah, the key kind of adjustment of the local legislation to the U- European Union directive of audiovisual uh, media services the, it's just presented here it was yeah it was really great event uh, with a lot of information coming you know so it was really big thing here I, I enjoyed, you know, listening all professionals from all around the world presenting their experiences, and now how we can, you know, come into this setup. Uh, and thanks to those new laws, the the, the, the main changes are happening uh, within the law of electronic media, which in a way uh, recognize the new reality with the new market players and defined the key relations uh, between them and independent producers on the first side defining uh, quotas and the level of their investment into original content there was one key thing changed uh, in regard of the uh, position of commercial broadcasters who before in old version of of the law they had the uh, obligation and quota which was in, in in air air time, and it was ten percent of air time annually has to be has to be uh, done by by independent producers and I can say it was here and there manipulated because it 's hard to measure that way, mm. so this time quota uh, is now changed to the financial quota and it 's five percent of annual turnover it has to be invested in the work of independent Croatian or European uh, producers.
0: And that's quite significant, right? I mean,
2: It is significant. On the other side, we have a law of, of the public broadcaster. In their case, it's 15% of the annual programming budget. And we are talking in, in, on, in Croatian situation, we are speaking about, let's say, up to 15 million euros coming from that side. And now we expect at least... Eight, maybe ten million euros will come from the side of commercial broadcasters. Uh, maybe those numbers doesn't s- s- sound <laughs> too big, but let's say what we consider here as a high-end production budget is on the level.
0: And that's a year. That's per year.
2: That's per year. Yeah, but you know, we, for example, yeah, we, we, we two hundred thousand euros, three hundred thousand euros is, is let's say the budget of high end series here. So it's it's not comparable with the bigger markets, but still the outcome is really high end. And then finally in New Law we have this moment that the telecom companies whose big part of business now is actually media business are also recognized as a broadcaster who has to invest to the content, and it's uh, 10% of their annual media business turnover, which is also a very significant amount. And And we've we've seen the the importance of telecom players in
0: in the CEE market and uh, and just seeing presentations. The presentation that closed the market was from Telecom Serbia. They have a studios business, and we talked to Jasmina uh, on last week's show. So they're commissioning original content. So the telecoms companies are more and more moving into this. We've seen it elsewhere in Europe, but it's it's really important
2: here. Definitely, isn't it? definitely, and uh, you know, especially because they are becoming the the main providers and distributors of the content. IPTV penetration in Croatia is already on a level of sixty sixty five percent of entire number of households in Croatia are getting the the TV content through the IPTV system provided by telecoms and it will grow. Of course, they they are also on a kind of crossroad right now because uh, what was a significant part of their premium packages uh, is now coming to people through applications on a smart TV devices and uh, now they will also have to think how to keep and uh, remain the, the user subscribers yeah know? so it's like and i think that they are realizing that and uh, yeah i'm kind of excited about uh, future talks with them you know because they will and uh, you also hear that we had the representatives of the two key telecoms on creation markets they they right now they really worry about capability of expertise of, of content they are, they will have to produce, but yeah, you well, say it's,
0: it's a new, it's a new world for many of them, I guess. Yes. You know, but they, you...
2: if they know which uh, football league they should invest in or, or for the TV rights, or maybe they should talk with independent producers. And, uh, you know, so if we are okay for HBO or, Netflix. Then we should be okay for local telecoms as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, you it, know, they don't have to look too far. You know? Yeah.
0: Well, uh, good luck with that. But it, and, I mean, it sounds like the future's bright for the Croatian TV industry.
2: Well, yeah, well, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm really optimistic. And uh, as one of the speakers yesterday said, I think it was uh, Dana, Stern, Stern Dana, yeah. Yeah. She said that it's actually it's good to be in in, in, in this business today because. Yeah, all kind of content is really in high in demand, and uh, you know, and uh, it's more buyers, more buyers being forced to, to buy locally, and uh, definitely. And we can yeah. see everywhere, you know, that uh, what we learned so far after streaming revolution started, that everybody realized now that actually the local content is a key. Of course, there will be. Always important of the big um, US studio projects, but uh, it also proved in a way, and we also saw some good metrics and numbers sh- proving that, you know, that uh, what people appreciate the most is the local content always, you know, and it's always before the rest. Yeah,
0: well, local content can travel. We've seen it. And saying- then
2: if you are authentic, if you are, you know, telling your story, people are curious about other people's stories, you know, so, you know, it happens to us with the paper, for example, which was, you know, we were telling very local creation transitional story about, you know, destroying of the last uh, news, independent newspaper in the country, the corruption politics, it was like, you know, it's very tough, political thriller, and it ended up that we became enormously popular in almost everywhere in South America, in Latin America. So it's it was really Brazil, Argentina, Chile. You know, the, the leading media was recommending the series. We are always among top five or top ten best series and movies about journalism in their choices, you know. So it's like... It
0: just just seems to have resonated there in particular. Yes, right?
2: yes, you yeah. are telling your own story, your authentic, own, you know. It's, and it's uh, but if you watch, for example, we we are big consumers of of UK content, and traditionally, even in Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia was biggest buyer of of BBC content, and uh, what things what we like here from Britain are always actually very local British story coming either from the province or London, whatever, but it's, you know, it's Midsummer Murders or something. Midsummer Murders is extremely popular here, but uh, only Fools and Horses. It's like that was the most popular show ever here. Only Fools and Horses, oh, yeah. then Aloh, Aloh, then uh, You Rung, My Lord, then even the, the old one in the bus, I remember that. In, On uh, the buses? In right? the buses, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, uh, it was extremely popular here. So everybody knows here if you go to Zagreb to Split, and make some quote from only fools and horses everybody immediately will, oh, really oh, was it when delboy came to rodney and said that this like <laughs> you know Excellent. Well, i'm going
0: to i'm going to try that on the waiter tonight yeah. i think uh, in <laughs> the restaurant yeah, we, so we, we call
2: could. it muchke 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 yeah. yeah that's uh, that means muchke you say that somebody you know the muchke is kind of uh, like put two liquids together and then... Mix like, make, make yeah. yeah so and we use that uh, where when somebody is trying to avoid, like, the kind of little thief, you know, like, trying to, oh, right. yeah, <laughs> so, exactly where they were, so. Yeah, and yeah. everybody knows here, Muchke is a say, and everybody will say, oh, yeah, I know, Bellboy.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, t- before you go, can you tell me what's on the horizon in terms of new projects, anything that you can...
2: You can talk about, we have right now, as I said, we are in, also I didn't mention, we are literally in two weeks, we are starting to shoot season two of the British uh, period drama called Hotel Portofino. We made uh, season one last year uh, here in Croatia, and it was quite successful. It's ITV, PBS, Foxtel Australia, and Sky Italia that's on the the servicing side. Uh, I didn't mention we have a very good and very functional tax rebate system here in Croatia. We are also preparing, as I said, for the season two of the silence of our show. But uh, we also have in a very advanced development, some new co-productions, one with hopefully with the the ZDF and uh, another one with Iceland. Ah. We call it series of the social and natural catastrophe. So in short, the big cataclysmic volcano eruption happened on Iceland, and life is not possible for next 20 years, so the entire nation has to be resettled, it has to be moved somewhere and kept just to have to stay together for that period in order to preserve identity, culture, language. And then international community decide that they will uh, uh, put them on Croatian islands, and. The- <laughs> Wow, <laughs> that's kind of it's a kind of inverse This sounds, this story. sounds
0: brilliant. Uh, listen, uh, uh, any buyers who are listening to this—that's got to be. a and it's but
2: winner. it is also a story about uh, climate changes in the back because volcanic eruption is hyperspeed climate change. And I was making research after the last. If you I don't know if you remember the last eruption on Iceland, which stopped entire air traffic over Europe for well, for a it, month. yeah,
0: it stranded uh, most of the international TV yes, executives in, 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 in Cannes.
2: Can, yeah. And then, you know, I started to make some research. Uh, uh, and I found some extraordinary information. For example, scientists connect some of the most important historical events in you know, humankind history, which turn us in certain directions with volcanic eruptions. One of them happened on Iceland in 1784. It was very deadly eruption. It killed immediately 25% of the people at that time, affected Great Britain a lot. It killed a lot of living stock, destroyed the crops. France, which was the biggest producer of the food in Europe at that time, was also severely affected. And the the all ashes and the sulfur dioxide, which went to atmosphere, dropped in average the temperature for three degrees. So it cooled down everything. So there were no harvests for next three to four years. And big famine came, came to Europe. So all those French farmers and peasants who lost everything, you know, they all moved to the cities most of them to Paris and finally on seventeen eighty nine the event as we know as a French Civil Revolution occurred, which <laughs> reshaped the, the political history of the so then that's how we can maybe understand climate changes in a better way and how
0: it affects civil
2: society and how it will affect people at the end it will be a lot of movement so and we choose this eruption simply because it's as i said it's a hyper speeding process but we hope that people can start to think what is ahead you know so
0: well that sounds fascinating i mean uh, i'd love to see that made Good luck with getting one of those telcos or one of those new streamers in Croatia to get involved with that. Thank you so much for spending some time. Thank uh, with you us. very much. a pleasure much. to meet you, and uh, good luck with
2: everything. My and pleasure. maybe see you at MIPCOM. Hopefully, I, I, I think I will be there. All so. right. We'll see you then. Thank yeah. you. Thank you.
0: My next guest that I bumped into in Dubrovnik is Jonathan Broughton, who was formerly of Workshare Consulting and obviously one of the leading analysts in the TV industry. But he recently moved to the EBU, the European Broadcasting Union, as their head of strategy. Jonathan, welcome to the show again and congratulations on the new gig. Thank you very much. It's, it's, it's fantastic to be back on the podcast. I'm not going to do this on every interview on this show, I, I promise all the listeners, but you know we are <laughs> sat on the hotel balcony and it's uh, sort of uh, evening beers time, so we're just having a, a sort of very convivial drink and a chat. That's just to paint the scene there.
3: It's the most picturesque interview
0: I've ever done. Well, there we <laughs> go. That's it. Excellent. Well, we win there. So, Jonathan, European Broadcasting Union, the EBU, Tell us what the EBU is and
3: uh, what's its remit and what's your role as head of strategy there? Great question. So the EBU is really set up to facilitate uh, the broadcast industry across Europe and a little bit beyond. So we have uh, core members in Europe, but also we have associate members as far, far spread as Canada and um, Australia. The EBU focuses around three sort of core areas, which uh, is content Uh, advocacy and transformation and within that we facilitate training conversation between broadcasters so they can they can share ideas and and discover where they should be going but also sort of practical things such uh, really practical things such as facilitation of content so we were involved directly in co-production we're involved directly in in content exchange um, and we're also in the the news space which is so important to, to PSM across europe Involved in, in areas around this, which include uh, secured news exchanges, um, which allow broadcasters from one part of, of Europe to securely receive content from, from other parts of Europe. So you can be assured that the quality and that the, the security of the content that's being broadcast is, is accurate. So it's, it's a big tool at the moment for combating sort of misinformation. The, the reality is that the EBU is incredibly broad. Um, as we need to re- respond to member needs, members are incredibly diverse across Europe, and, and the EBU reflects that. So, there are hundreds of, of sort of smaller areas where the EBU has some sort of role to play, uh, which reflects the challenges of said broadcasters. Now, um, public service broadcasting has obviously
0: been in the news a lot, particularly over the last sort of two, three years. Certain public service broadcasters are under threat, but also we've found that public service broadcasts have almost came into their own really I suppose during the pandemic as a trusted source of information for viewers. Tell us about some of the challenges though that PSBs are facing right now post-pandemic and how the EBU plans to help them. I'd say
3: a good way to think about that is is to get into the mindset perhaps of PSM. We've always talked about the currency of, of PSM being audience and relevancy. And you say PSM, when you say, PS- I say M, PSM. say PSM. As opposed to PSB. collapsing a... into EBU speak. There? Right. Um, so we say PSM. It was originally used because we, we include a lot of radio in what we do, so we like to say PSM. Cause so it's public service media, essentially, is what you're saying. It is, and I think it's, it's public service media, and I think it's a really good term to perhaps take forward, because, of course, a lot of broadcasters now have digital properties, so well, are they even broadcasters anymore? I mean, mm-hmm. yes, they think of themselves as broadcasters, so they are broadcasters. But public service media, I think, is a is a term that actually encompasses what psps are rather than the, the, the term
0: yeah okay Perhaps all right So
3: apologies for the confusion but no uh, no i think not it's a good all. term to use what are the main challenges and how does the ebu plan to uh, to help them with those the sort of currency of psm public service media is uh, the audience and the relevancy of the audience so first you know how many people can you reach are you doing it in a in a way that is uh, sort of fair uh, and, and accessible to the breadth of the population. And secondly, the kind of content that you're, you're making for them, is it relevant to them? We're not saying quality measure here, we're saying a relevancy measure. So it should be things that are impactful for them, that are informative to them, and of course, truthful and a, and a good source of, of education. So there's a, a broad range of things that fit into that. But roughly, they're the two pillars that public service media or broadcasters have, have built themselves on over the, the past decades. What we're seeing in this space now is that there's a almost like a, a third pillar which is being added to that, and that's data. It's a very broad term which is applicable to many, many things, but it's data that allows you to better understand your audience uh, in terms of what they want. It's data that that tells you about where your audiences are moving to. It's data that says how you should best serve content to your audiences. You know where they're consuming their content, what devices they're consuming it on. So, better understanding audiences is is, is a massive challenge, and particularly because a lot of the, the new challenges to effectively eyeballs or if you're radio earballs, are in this understanding space. It's it's about trying to understand the content and the distribution faster and deeper than than your effective new competition i'll be a bit more specific about what that means in terms of what we do it means getting faster distribution or transformation i should say of psb fod services it means making them more effective it means getting sign-ons who actually understand what people are doing and using on that individual service but it also moves into understanding better about what what content to commission moving to perhaps sort of use cases and, and, and sort of more efficient ways of actually building and and distributing content to start with. Further challenges that are sort of outside PSB control are always around sort of uh, funding and public perception. So while we can talk a lot about these technical challenges, um, PSBs are always very concerned with how the public feels about them and how responsive they are to that. So there's always an underlying challenge, which is how do we best serve the public in the sort of new digital era. One of the things I believe that you're
0: lobbying for is around prominence of PSBs. So basically being able to access them and find them a lot easier rather than being buried down uh, channel 567 of your electronic programme guide. How do you go about convincing the gatekeepers for those EPGs to make sure that the public service broadcasting is much more discoverable?
3: There's sort of two main strategies, for lack of a better term, that I'd sort of highlight there. First off is is that public service content is is owned by the public, effectively. To draw a, a sort of an analogy, uh, if you imagine public service media being like a hospital, which you've already paid for, you, you've built it, you've got all your beds inside and your doctors and nurses uh, paid for. And you've also built roads to the hospitals so people can get to the hospitals. But what you haven't done is put any signposts up. So although the roads exist and the hospitals exist, nobody knows where to go mm-hmm. to actually do anything when they're ill. So that's, that's sort of one thought, one sort of uh, analogy to, to why prominence is, is the right thing to do. Um, because in fact, all you're doing is you're highlighting something that the public generally already owns to the public. So it's highlighting something they own they pay for is generally free for them at the the point of consumption I think what's really interesting as well as we talk to certain newer global players I won't go into too much detail where they're entering new markets or they're discussing distribution strategies I'm talking about owners of, of effectively smart TVs or connected TVs there's tremendous recognition of the value of PSM content cynically it's because it's normally free to them. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, the local branding always contains this recognition and trust. And fundamentally, if you're if you're buying a TV to watch, you know, a few different things, you know, sport, news, and entertainment, PSM will almost always have one of those three things at its core, if not all three. So there is recognition from the more neutral aggregators that they should be engaging with us to give prominence to to psm content because it's good for the population and it's good for
0: them however they're commercial entities aren't they and uh, at the end of the day it might not serve their uh, their own commercial interests to to do that so one of the things that the ebu also focuses on is um, around the issue of impartiality now obviously that's you know baked into the remit of many psm's in that you know they've got to be reporting Uh, any of these key issues in an impartial way but how do you do that I mean how does a PSB remain truly impartial you can imagine sometimes I think of the BBC uh, you know tying themselves in knots over certain different issues whether it's royalty whether it's government whatever the key issues are and I'm sure this is the same for many other PSBs in various different territories around the world How, how does a PSB remain impartial It's a great
3: question, and as a a slight plug, we have some great resources within our own news team if if people are interested in finding out more. It's a a lot of what tends to be discussed is giving voice to both sides, but that's not necessarily the way to remain impartial. What is increasingly the direction that that sort of news organizations are are moving in is sort of adding a a third tier to what they do, which is sort of a, a fact or a truth check or something like that. The point is to give tools to audiences to guide them uh, with facts to understand the truth of matters. So while it is important to give a variety of opinions on things, it's also becoming increasingly, especially in the age of social media, to provide tools to allow audiences to determine what, what actually it means, what formed those opinions, and to help them form opinions of their own. I think part of what we're seeing as well is a sort of slight shift from PSM role as effectively a radio or a tv based distributor of, of news to something that's far more encompassing than that and as well as including its sort of digital properties has these sort of ac- expert fact checking tools as well we saw
0: fact checking tools really come to the fore during covid didn't we and that's that's certainly the first time that i probably noticed them being as prominent mm. on public service media that i was uh, watching and really valuable you know particularly when we heard things about you know 5g people chopping down 5g masts and things like that which is obviously crazy
3: we noticed a really a, a direct impact from that so so we we measure every year public perception of trust of, of information across you know, many different forms be it social media online newspapers radio tv and what we did notice is that across the last two years, we've seen a massive dip in the trust associated with social media and an uplift in newspapers, radio and, and television, which is which is good because they're the, the formats which are easiest to hold to account. So it's nice to see a recognition from the public of of where the truth actually comes from.
0: Yeah, and in, in a way, I mean, this is obviously not something that you would say, but in essence, you know, COVID has really woken people up i think to the value of public service broadcasting and and there's been many other issues political issues and i'm speaking as a uh, as a as a brit who's you know who's recently you know been through brexit been through lots of different fundamental changes in the, the way the country operates the value of having an impartial media resource there for you is being absolutely invaluable and and of course you know I suppose the role of the PSB is they're always going to uh, get attacked from both sides. And I suppose if they are getting attacked from both sides, they're doing the right job. Right? <laughs> so we could talk for, for hours on this because there's so many, such a wide remit the EBU has. And, you know, and there's so many issues to discuss about, you know, things like obviously media, the big media. Death Stars, as, as they're becoming known in the in the TV industry, you know the likes of Google and, Fa- and Meta and various other players and the power that they've got and the influence that they've got. There's lots of different areas we could talk about. We, we're not going to do that now. Maybe that's a one for a future show. But the one thing i have got to finish on is obviously the EBU owns the Eurovision Song Contest, which is obviously certainly in the UK. I think has had somewhat of a resurgence, uh, certainly in the last month or so the year before i think we got nil point pretty much across the board but yeah i mean what if uh, in terms of the organization not only all the dealing with regulation and uh, and training and all these other things you talked about but you know having that as a property so it's it must be wonderful to 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 be involved with that
3: it is and and not only that is it's universally beloved by the the entirety of the the ebu staff there is Much competition for who gets to go in a a given year. I didn't get to go this year, but that's okay. What can I say about the EBU? We're we're really pleased with the the performance of the Eurovision Song Contest this year. One of the the, the key concerns among the many challenges of public service media is attracting youth audiences. And there's a few various strategies we work through with that. And one is distribution to sort of digital platforms. So this year there was a, a partnership with TikTok for distribution of of various parts of the 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 programming including the um the qualifying rounds and we got 189 million views of of content via tiktok which is fantastic um you know the eurovision song contest always punches slightly higher for for young young audiences but it's so important to kind of build that that pipeline for the future overall we got something like 100 and 169 million views on the night, in an additional sort of 20 million views for, for online. So it's it's nice that to have something that is actually responding really well for sort of the new digital ways of distribution. So uh, it sort of points to the longevity of the format as well as its its brilliance and its success. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was great to
0: see Ukraine win, which was obviously a you know a really v- a vote of support really across. Uh, across all the Eurovision uh, territories for the country. But, Absolutely. you know, UK came second, so uh, so that was uh, that Yeah, was a and
3: good I, I've only been here three months, so I, I can't take all the credit for the UK's success. No, OK.
0: <laughs> well, uh, well, we'll see. Well, we'll look to next year, Jonathan, and uh, I will be expecting a win next year. <laughs> Jonathan, thanks for joining me. Great to see you. Thanks for taking time out at NEM to have a quick chat and enjoy the rest of the market. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> My next guest on this week's NEM special show is Matej Lonturic, Director of Video Operations and Media Brands at Jumboos and Miss 7 How are you doing, you. Matej?
4: Hello. Uh, well, uh, I'm welcoming you in here in Croatia. It's nice to see you here. Well, it's great to be here, oh, yeah. you know. I mean, uh, uh, it doesn't
0: really get much better than being here. Mm-hmm. in a Beautiful environment, great place to be. And, of course, amazing people to meet. Mm-hmm. Your business is really around digital-first content and short-form content, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Can you tell us a little bit about Juneboost and Miss 7, because those are two separate brands. Yes. How you created them and, you know, what their reach is, how big they Mm -hmm. are and, and what do they consist of?
4: Yeah. so I come to this company called 24Sata. That's a newspaper company. And we, uh, my job was to actually to shut down the TV station. Uh, we had a cable news TV station uh, that was not uh, monetizing and operating well on the market. And they said, "Okay, we need to do and try something else with Vida." Everybody is talking about the digital first and uh, Vida strategies, and they called me to help them. They right. said, "They said." Uh, Maybe you will uh, succeed, maybe you will fail, but you're young. (laughs) Yeah. How old are you? Now I'm 35. Yeah. When I joined, I was 27. By the way, you're the telecast first, the first person that I've
0: interviewed that's actually bigger than me. And I'm pretty big. I'm six foot four. I don't know how big you are, but it's good to feel like a small guy, you know, a small person. Thank you. I, I love uh,
4: to, to see a grown-up man. You know? yeah.
0: <laughs> so, June Boost, first of all. So, mm-hmm. how do you create content? So, it's short-form content for a young audience. Tell yeah. us about
4: your audience. Yeah, for those so um, When I came to 24SATA, I realized that I cannot bring the audience and 24 SATA, that will watch the videos. Okay, and that they is, were an older audience. Yeah, it? they were, uh, they were w- very old. And I saw on the market that YouTube is growing and that the younger audiences are on all social media networks and that they are gathering there, they are communicating, and that they are creating some kind of content. And then I said uh, said to the board, okay, let's create another brand that will support 24 SATA uh, like a massive uh, uh, brand that will create uh, short-form videos that includes influencers, and let's conquer the the world uh, with that. And actually, they said, okay, uh, let's try it. We we had some cases on uh, 24 SATA, and uh, the board uh, said, let's do it. We uh, had tremendous uh, success. We did the break even one in three months after uh, start really
0: three months yeah breakeven that's extraordinary
4: yeah and uh, And this is
0: through YouTube advertising revenue,
4: native advertising right yeah and six months after the start start, we had break even two so it was one of the uh, most rapid projects uh, in our group who who showed that uh, we can grow the new audience that we are not targeting, and that we can uh, have some uh, new income in the company that uh, they were not thinking, uh, thinking about. Yeah. And the next problem that we had uh, in Croatia back then, in 2015, there was only like four influencers. <laughs> right. So we need to create a market. Firstly, we need to create a market with uh, advertising agencies. They couldn't understand what is a short f- uh, form video, what is YouTube, and then we need to create uh, new influencers.
0: Oh, right. So you were you were actually educating yeah. the advertising agencies. Yeah, yeah, yeah When yeah. it's actually it's their job to know, actually, <laughs> which is, so you've been a real
4: trailblazer there. Yeah. So we need to push a lot of doors. We need to um, uh, risk every day was a risk Uh, and then we created a a new show it was uh, our uh, original video star show where we are searching for new influencers and with that show we had tremendous uh, success Uh, we won more than um, seven awards uh, in london berlin and uh, in vienna for digital advertising and incorporating the brands in the show and how we created the market that uh, was not uh, there uh, before so with that show we create every year new five influencers the, uh, this show uh, firstly we were searching like for our youtube influencers now we are searching for a TikTok influencers and uh, this is how we are like a factory of the new stars, right? So it's a sh- so it's the yeah.
0: short form format essentially. Yeah, that, that it's
4: it's like fifteen minutes format with the coolest influencers that that are in jury. And we have the hosts. Uh, uh, we have uh, even the live event when we are organizing the the finals and who will win. Usually, there is more than like seven hundred people in this big studio of, of ours wow. <laughs> that are watching this uh, live stream that goes on for two two hours. Right. Yeah. So okay. that's uh, that's a big uh, big thing, leading on this this uh, success in uh, New York. In 2017, we won award by INMA. That's like uh, biggest organizations for publisher, newspaper uh, publisher. And we won award for the most innovative media brand uh, in the world. Wow. And now, like seven years uh, after, we are also creating a new brand in Slovenia because uh, in the data of Jumbus, we saw that there is a small amount of uh, users coming from Slovenia, something uh, around 7%. And we said, okay, let's see what are Slovenians uh, watching uh, and what kind of content they like, and let's uh, create a business plan for Slovenian market. So we created a sister brand called jungla. that is uh, positive from from um, uh, from uh, day one. Uh, and we are producing everything from creation and Zagreb, but just we're talking Slovenian. Yeah. So
0: you see, this is what fascinates me about mm-hmm. digital-first content mm-hmm. and producers of content being able to access their own data mm-hmm. and create new business models uh, based upon data by being lean and quick. And we've seen... In the UK, we've seen businesses like uh, mm-hmm. Barcroft now, now Future Studios and mm-hmm. Lad Bible, of course, and mm-hmm. uh, and Jungle Creations and Little Dot and lots mm-hmm. of other businesses, you know, using this a similar model. Obviously, yeah. not exactly the same, but testing and learning and uh, uh, slightly changing their format to understand what it lo- looks like on a native platform and, yeah, and yeah. how. Uh, so, when you talked about your show that you won all the awards for. Are you creating a different show for each platform, for a different show for TikTok influencers,
4: a different show mm-hmm. for uh, Instagram? Instagram and, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So it's a one show, but just the how we tell the story is a different. So we are not just like a, a big broadcasters just cutting. Yeah, We see Instagram um, uh, as a platform where you need to talk in, in one direction. Everything needs to be nice and super, super nicely. In tic- On TikTok, everything needs to be dirty. Everything needs to be plain, funny, and you need to create some challenges.
0: And you need to use the... Uh... The TikTok tools as well, don't yeah. you? The native tools like the voiceover. And yeah, the-, the
4: voiceover. Even some of the our voiceovers are recreated uh, recreated more than like five or 10,000 times. Uh, and that's big for our creation market. Yeah, When we are creating one show, we have a producer who needs to create a way how to communicate that show on another social network yeah so it's it's not just cutting it's, it is it uh, is communicating in a different way and how to activate that users to come and see the original i would say big but short 15 minutes or 20 minutes yeah. uh, show
0: we were finding even shorter form content is mm-hmm. becoming more and more popular lot like of the platforms are creating shorts and mm-hmm. uh you know, thirty second or one yeah, minute kind of content yeah. as well. How does that work? Does that act as a bit of a trailer for the the longer form show? Or? No,
4: we don't call it a trailer because in trailer uh, usually you don't have any content. Yeah. So we said, uh, okay, if we have fifteen seconds or thirty seconds, we want to show the user or the audiences, there is something that you can talk about with your friend, yeah. or you can send it via WhatsApp. So it's, it needs to be something like, um, you know, cool, nice. Uh, that's Super shareable. Super shareable. Yeah. And we are, if it's not super shareable, we are not publishing. Right. Because, uh, I mean, it needs to drive some emotion. We are creating so much content, so we are using this fail fast, win faster, so we are using this data because sometimes we, f- we fail. But we are producing from these uh, like big shows, a lot of uh, like one big show has a, a six, uh, 60 videos around. So we are targeting and we know what our users like to see and uh, how they are reacting on something else. Also, when we are producing like drama series or talent shows, we have like a focus group. And as we are number one, uh, also web and the news portal uh, in in Croatia, we can uh, target our audience and ask them and uh, show them a snippet of a show and see how they're reacting. And I think that uh, we are the most horrible producers to uh, script writers. Right. (laughs) Because uh, they write a show, we film it, and we just cut it, uh, like roughly cut it. We show it to to the targeted audience, like 30 people, and we see how they are reacting. And then we we come as uh, executive producers, change this, 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 and this. This is not working. How? Why are you changing that? This is my. Well, this is great.
0: The audience <laughs> is telling the director what it wants. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that we really see how. The future of content, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean,
4: there is also some things that you cannot apply because our audience cannot understand how the content flows at the end. But we discovered some uh, some of the things that the audience told us how to integrate and how to be more interactive, and it does not need to be everything like um, you know um, extra, uh, extravagant, um, uh, extremist. Uh, they just even like to see some uh, some parts of uh, videos that they love to engage, you know, in uh, beautiful scenarios and so on. And we were surprised. Yeah. Uh, so we are also learning, and also um, uh, um, it's fun how we are learning from that uh, that youth audience. We are also always surprised, and we said we don't understand it, and then, and we let them like for a half an hour to explain it to us <laughs> what is happening and what what are the new words that they are using and what is the new slang oh, and right okay so, so
0: you're really tapping into that youth yeah, audience and yeah. learning it's almost like a laboratory if you like, yeah. <laughs> for content really interesting so June Boost is one brand and you have how many original
4: show brands do you have then within mm-hmm. June Boost? okay so we have over these seven years we created uh, around 35 originals so approximately five originals uh, uh, per year. But we are now proud that we created our first global uh, original. So we created a first bilingual uh, English-Croatian uh, series. Ah. We had tremendous uh, uh, success with our dramas for teens. So they're the most watched drama series programming uh, within the Croatia. Really? And ex-Yugoslavia. And so we said, OK, let's go more and more abroad and let's add uh, some new influencers that are global influencers. So we have one global influencer who has more than 17 million followers on TikTok. We brought uh, one uh, influencer and new anchor for uh, from London uh, to Croatia.
0: And they're actors, then? Yeah, they're, and they're actors. They're actors and influencers. They, yes. They, they, okay, they're actors who happen to be influencers, yes, essentially. Yes, okay. yes,
4: But their main job is also to be influencers. They have a strong influencer yeah. base, and their social networks are really, really strong. Yeah. So we brought them to, to Zagreb, and we created uh, this uh, third culture teen uh, coming-out-of-age drama series. Ah. It's What's it called? Called The Outsiders. The Outsiders. Yeah. Right. yeah. And we are actually targeting here more than uh, 250 million teenagers in the world um, who are the daughters and sons from uh, diplomats, uh, digital nomads, uh, everyone who is changing, uh, the kids who are changing every t- three or four uh, years, uh, their hometown, ho- hometown. Right. And when you ask them where where are you from and where where do you belong, they don't have the answer. And we saw that there is a lot of groups uh, and forums around that topic that nobody tackled in. We are in these stories, the outsiders. The outsider is the main character who comes to Croatia from London. His mom is a diplomat. And he, as a teenager, is um, uh, his challenge to have the new friends every four years. His love story, and within everything, he uh, he is a popular TikToker, and er everyone in the school in Croatia uh, is making fun of uh, him being a famous uh, TikToker. Uh So we are following that story and how he adapts, and how people are adapting to a new new cultures and uh, new things. So it's really a,
0: like an authentic drama. Right? Yeah, Essentially. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I had a look on your uh, YouTube channel, mm-hmm. uh, uh, June Boost, and you've got you've just had over 1 million yeah. followers on, mm-hmm. on YouTube. What about the other platforms then? What about TikTok? I mean, is, is YouTube your biggest channel? Or? Yeah,
4: we are highly focused on uh, YouTube. 1 million is for Croatia is a huge number because yeah. we are the nation of 4 million people and there are 600 teenagers and youth uh, um, uh, audiences uh, in uh, Croatia. So we have actually 300,000 users from uh, uh, Serbia. The other channels that we are supporting uh, Jumbus, is TikTok, where we have half a million, Instagram, that is also on uh, half a million. Of course, we have a Facebook uh, with something about 150,000. And you'll be surprised, but uh, we have released uh, our magazine, printed magazine. Right. Because um, we built this strong brand that is uh, really connected to the users. And our target audience is actually going to the kiosks and buys uh, the magazine as a souvenir.
0: Yeah, this is really, really yeah. interesting. It's actually new media going into old media, yeah. which is uh, which is fascinating the way. And this is you're... the
4: the uh, the way how we are uh, actually demonetizing because because we didn't understood that we can. I mean, I'm coming from a completely digital world, and I was editing the magazine. Uh, I didn't know how to do it. You know, <laughs> I had mentors. You need to put this picture, that side and so on. But this is, uh, uh, this product is uh, on the kiosk, is very expensive for the Croatian. um, On the Croatian market, it costs five euros. The other teen magazines is around two euros. So, um, and we are sold out. uh, It's a collector's uh, item. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, Matti, I'd love to talk uh, longer, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure we will when when we do more shows Mm -hmm. around uh, short form content and Mm -hmm. digital first content. Mm And we didn't get a chance to talk about Miss 7, which is, uh, which is a, another brand you have. But we'll do that on a, on a future show. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Matej Longciric, thank you so much. Really thank enjoyed uh, chatting with me. you. And good luck with everything. It's a real Thanks. pointer to the future of media in mm-hmm. uh, Croatia. So, well, thank congratulations. You. Thank you. Well, that's about it from Croatia. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks to Sanya and the Media Vision team for asking me to host this year's event too. It was great fun. Next stop on the Telecast European tour is Annecy, where I'll be gathering with the world animation industry at MIFA. Don't forget to visit telecast.com, where we have all the content from the Telecast Content Funding Festival together in one place for free. Just register at telecast.com. Until next week, stay safe.